Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Then he, that is Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In chapter 6, we began to see the rejection of Jesus Christ and the rejection of all those who are associated with him. The light of the world has come out into the world and the darkness was trying to overcome it. The twelve apostles were sent out in his name and were given instruction on how to deal with rejection. Then John the Baptist is killed as a foreshadowing of the rejection of Christ. But Jesus would go on to reveal himself in feeding the 5,000, walking on water, followed by healing miracles. But then he begins to address the problem of men and why they were rejecting him and his revelation. The problem was the hardness of men's hearts. Man's heart is dead in sin and hardened against God. Uh, This is the explanation of why the Pharisees, the scribes, and the leaders of his day were turning against him with such violence. Their response to him comes from a heart that is hardened against God and his truth. But then the situation takes a a turn when we come to an account of a Gentile woman, a, a Seraphonician woman who was in dire need of a savior for his, uh, her daughter. Her response was one of faith. And it was recorded to contrast the response of the Pharisees, which was rejection. This pattern will continue into chapter 8, a pattern that goes back and forth from a response of rejection to a response of faith, including the passage we have in front of us today. But this passage is not only here to record the faithful responses of men, because we will later see that most people will turn against Jesus. It is not only here to reveal the hearts of men that seem to be softened by the Savior's love and care. But this text is also here to reveal the Savior himself. Because this is what the world needs. This is what the world needs. The world needs a Savior. We live in a time when most people think that they can save themselves. But the scriptures remind us time and time again that all of us need a Savior. We cannot choose our way out of the problems we face, especially our own sin. 
So here in this text, it reveals our Savior in three ways. It reveals the heart of the Savior. It reveals the gracious power of the Creator. And it reveals the good work of a good God. And what it all means for our own condition. Because every miraculous or saving act of Jesus was placed here to teach us something here and now. So first we see the heart of the Savior. Uh, Jesus travels north from Tyre to Sidon. We're not sure why he went there. And it's not recorded in any of the other Gospels. But what we know is that he makes a big loop going north to Sidon before going southeast to the Decapolis along the Sea of Galilee, which would have been a total of 120 miles on foot. Uh, This is a familiar place because this is where he exercised a man possessed by a legion of demons. So what Mark is trying to show us is Jesus' ministry to the Gentiles, and this would be a foreshadowing of what the church's mission would later be, going into all the world and proclaiming the gospel. In that sense, we see the heart of the Savior as he opens the door, or better, the sheep gate, for all types of sheep to enter. And the people of the Decapolis bring him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. Now, this is not speaking of a a stutter or a slight slur. Uh, The force of the word is speaking of a speech impediment that made his speech unintelligible. Uh, You couldn't understand him. There is only one other place that this word for speech impediment is used in the scripture. And that is in the Greek Old Testament. The Septuagint. This is the Old Testament that many of the Jews who spoke Greek would have used. It was found in the passage we read earlier in Isaiah 35. And it is translated as someone who is mute. Uh, Isaiah 35 has a significant connection with our text, as we will see going uh, further. So they brought this man and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him so that he could heal him. Uh, What did Jesus do? We, We see four actions that reveal the heart of our Savior. First, he takes the man aside from the crowd privately and graciously. And the assumption is that he included this man's friends who brought him to Jesus and what he was about to do for the man. Much of his ministry was done in private. Uh, This wasn't meant to be a spectacle or a magic show. He wasn't there just to be seen by others. He was there to do the will of his father. He wasn't there in order to entertain curious men. But at the same time, he condescended To help men. That was his whole purpose uh, of coming into the world and taking on flesh, taking the form of a servant. So, secondly, as a servant and as a gracious Savior, he uses language that this man could understand as he explains what he is about to do. Since uh, the man couldn't hear nor speak, Jesus uses a form of sign language. And touched him for reassurance. It says he puts his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, 
touched his tongue. There is much going on here that would have angered and disgusted the Pharisees and scribes if uh, they were around. He not only touched a Gentile, which would have made him unclean, but he also touched spit. Uh, Spit was also considered unclean to to touch. Uh, But in the surrounding Gentile area, other cultures and, and pagan religions used spit for healing purposes. It was believed to cure blindness and to mediate power. Spit was considered magical. So there was a superstition around the usage of spit. Now, Jesus wasn't communicating that the spit was actually going to heal the man, but he wanted to give the man confidence in what he was about to do by visually signaling a technique that he would have recognized. He came down to this man's level, which was a level of silence, and spoke to him in a way that he would understand. Thirdly, he looked up to heaven. He looked up to heaven for God to help. Not only that, but he also looks up to heaven for this man. He was signaling to this man that God was the one who would heal him. It will be God that will heal him, not the spit. And he looks to him for utter reliance. Fourthly, he sighed. He sighed because he had his heart toward heaven, seeking for his father to intervene. And he sighed because of the state of his creation. His heart was for this man. This was an emotional sigh of both sorrow and anger. His creation is fallen and sickness and disease upset him. Why? Because it is an affront to God's original intentions for his creation. He sighed because he has a heart not only for his father, but also for his creatures whom he created. He sighed because physical disability, sickness, and disease are all part of what he came to undo. He sighed because he was sensitive to the pain and the suffering that comes from a fallen creation. God hates not only sin, but he also hates the fruits that sin bears, especially in physical ailments and death. Stoic philosophy has had a major influence on Christianity over the centuries. Some positive, such as dealing with self-control and emotions, but in other senses, negative. It has led many to misinterpret that every time Jesus sighs or weeps, he must be sighing or weeping over unbelief of the people around him. But there is no sign of that going on here. This was a a private moment. Because according to Stoics, emotions such as grieving is a sign of weakness. And when applied to Christianity, showing these kinds of emotions is a sign of a lack of faith. But that is not biblical. Uh, I think lately we've been so desensitized and 
to especially illness and death, that we flip, flippantly dismiss it. Human sinners can easily become cold like that, and it's because of our sinful condition, not because of our faith. So let us not import that attitude to Jesus and remember the heart of the Savior when others suffer around us or when it is time for us to suffer. Uh, Vody Bauckham, who is a cultural apologist, uh, kind of a famous pastor, he, he said, I'm not so concerned about those who mourn and weep when they lose someone in my congregation. I'm actually concerned for those who don't. There lies a serious spiritual condition. And there may be more to the story. And the cover has usually been, well, it's because I have faith. But that is misguided. Because the way things are, are not the way they ought to be. And it should upset us. Sin has left damages too severe for any mere human to reverse. He is indeed sighing over this man's condition, over his deafness and inability to speak clearly. He hates it. And this inward groan of sighing is a plea to his father for help. Think of when we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach the only ultimate healing of the world is Jesus Christ. And we're looking forward to the day of true healing. For he is the only one who can do something about it. So out of all this we see the heart of Jesus as it is heavenward. Looking to his father for help. And his heart was for his people. As he was sorrowful and angry with the way things are in this world. Because we tend to place emphasis on one side of that coin or the other, don't we? Did Jesus live all for the glory of God his father? Or did he care for his people? Both. Both. We often speak as if they are opposed to each other, but they're not. They're not. So what we see here is the heart of God. Is the heart of God revealed to us in Jesus, not only for his own glory, but also for the good of his people. We have seen the heart of the Savior. Now, secondly, we see the gracious power of the Creator. This creator speaks life and all that exists into creation. So once again, he speaks and says to this man, Ephatha, that is Aramaic for be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Again, this is a direct allusion to the Messianic prophecy found in Isaiah 35. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. And this is what is happening here to this deaf man. What we see here is a work of the creator creating the ability for this man to hear and to speak. He spoke plainly now that he can hear clearly. It speaks of the power as well as the grace of Jesus Christ. 
He spoke and it happened. He came to conquer not only sin, but sin's effects on creation. And this act by Jesus was pointing to the future when He would recreate His creation and make all things new and glorious, not fallen. He will recreate the Garden of Eden, but better than the original. All out of His grace. We indeed have a gracious Savior and Creator. Thirdly, we see the good work of a good God. After Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more He charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Referring again to Isaiah 35. Not only is this to describe the Messiah, but it also describes the work of God. Uh, There is a subtle allusion to God's work of creation here. After he created all things, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Indeed, he does all things well or beautifully, excellently, as he is not only the perfect man, but also he is a good God. Jesus made this man whole, he restored this man, and he did it well. And this man's friends couldn't help but proclaim it. Jesus didn't want too much attention and publicity. He didn't want people to get the wrong idea about his ministry and what he was here for. But we see a pattern here. The more he tells others to keep it to themselves, they more zealously proclaim it. Why is that? Well... His popularity will eventually lead to not only their own disappointment when he doesn't do what he wants them to do, but it will lead to the cross. It will lead to his final work of dying and then rising from the dead, where he will recreate all things, where he will be the beginning of God's new creation where everything will be fulfilled and be made whole in him he will be the firstborn of this new creation where everything will be put right where we will have new bodies after the likeness of the glorious body of Jesus Christ In many ways, we are in the same condition as this man. Whenever Jesus performed a healing or physical miracle, he was also trying to communicate a spiritual lesson to his disciples or to the crowd around him. Every physical miracle he has performed was also tied to the rest of his work of redemption. Uh, Think of when he fed the 5,000. Bread from heaven. He would later say, I am the bread of life. Feast on me. He is trying to communicate the fact that while this man needed physical healing, we all need spiritual healing. 
Uh, unfortunately, many will reject this idea and look to Jesus only for physical healing and worldly prosperity. But we often ignore the fact that we are, we're all deaf to the things of God. We are all, all born naturally deaf to spiritual truth because we are all dead spiritually. But even when we are revived by the Holy Spirit, either we don't understand it spiritually when the Word is speaking directly to us, or we don't want to hear it at all. We can often be hardened against the truth. But Jesus comes to His people and clearly demonstrates who He is for us and what He plans to do for us. Right here in this miracle. And we can be assured in Him that He has the power to change things and turn things around. So what can we learn about Jesus and how this applies to us today? Well, first, He reveals His heart as it is for His people because His heart is the heart of God. He has come to seek and to save the lost because they are His. And without Him... They are heading toward total destruction. It is only God who can work a miracle in the heart of a sinner to take him off the path of destruction and place him on the narrow way. The same God who created all things out of nothing, who created man from the dust, became a man, decorated his glory with the same dust in order to save us And not only that, but also to sympathize with our weaknesses. Imagine that. Imagine that. He knows you're weak. He knows you're weak. All of mankind is weak. No matter how much of a show of strength we try to put on. One of the the many duties of shepherds. Uh, specifically under shepherds such as pastors and elders is to see through the facade or, or the mask of human strength. It is to watch for overly self-confident sheep who cannot confess their weaknesses because they are the first ones to fall off the path into a flooded marsh and drown in mud. Because our strength does not come from self. But our strength is only from the Lord. He knows that you're weak. He knows that your mind is weak. He knows that your soul and your body are weak. He knows that you are falling apart. And that sin is ever present. He reveals the weakness of men in this passage to say that yes... You too are weak and unable to heal yourself. That is the picture of this healing. That's what he's trying to teach everyone around him. That's what he's been trying to teach. But it wasn't clicking. But he has not left us without an answer. Rather, he comes to us, heals us spiritually, and guides us. Secondly, he reveals his power 
and what that power is for. His power is to redeem us totally from sin and its effects. We all have fallen bodies that tend to malfunction every once in a while, sometimes throughout the day. We have body parts that do not function at 100% anymore. They do not function as they did a few years ago, maybe even a few days ago. Uh, we wake up with rusty joints in the morning that feel as though they just need some WD-40 to get them going, some lubrication to stop them from squeaking. Then some of us are in a worse state and feel that there is no solution to our suffering. But in Christ, there is hope. Not only here in this world, but also in the next. His work of redemption is the means that God uses to recreate all things. Everything he did was pointing forward to the day when his creation would be made new. In the world to come, we won't have those bodies that fall apart. We won't need medical WD-40 for our aching bodies because there will be no more aches and pains. There will be no more suffering There won't be any more natural or pharmaceutical remedies. I don't know which one you prefer. I know these days there are debates on which one's better. But mind you, both will eventually fail. Because our great physician has come. And he was demonstrating the nature of the kingdom that he is gathering his people into. And that he will heal us totally, physically, from all of our ailments. And in some ways it begins here and now. He gives us ears to hear his word when we were deaf. He gives us new speech to use when we sing his praises. Notice, we are natural blasphemers. We blaspheme naturally. It says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. But now, He gives us tongues to sing His praises. And no matter how deaf a person is, he is able to give him ears to hear. No one is too deaf to hear God when he calls. No one is. So we are not to despair over anyone's state, whether it's close family, even our children. We are not to lose hope in those whom we seek to minister to. There are no hearts that are too hard to soften, for He is the creator of the heart. He is the creator of the deaf ears. And we can do nothing else but proclaim what a good God we have. And this good God does all things well. Thirdly, we see that Jesus is the creator, the Savior. The Redeemer 
who creates, saves, and redeems our souls and bodies. He opens deaf ears and loosens bound tongues. He does so at His pace and as He pleases. Because even now in our redeemed state as Christians, we often find it hard to sing His praise. We find it hard to listen to His word. Though our salvation begins here, one day it will be totally reversed. But until then... We're just struggling along the way, aren't we? But the Lord, He will turn things around in His timing, in His way. Remember, He answers to no one. For He does all things by His grace, according to His will, and according to His timing. But in the meantime... Even as we are struggling along the way, you can say He does all things well for us. He works redemption for us. He brings out of darkness into His marvelous light, His people. And while we are still here, He shows us our weaknesses and how we are dependent on Him for everything. And throughout our lives, He guides us even through dark providences. Which may seem to us as inescapable at the moment. But when we look back, we see that in fact, in His timing, He does all things well. You're probably saying, easy for you to say, you don't know what I'm going through. But isn't this the way that Jesus reassured this deaf man? In his sign language and in his physical touch, he said to this man, trust me, I will deliver you. I have the power and the wisdom to do so. So in his perfect wisdom, he gives and he takes away. And often, I would say in most cases, we will not understand what He is doing in our lives. We won't understand at the moment, and we probably won't understand until the day that we see Him. And that day, we will understand that everything He did was good and for our good. And no one, no one could do it better. We are in His hands and He he promises to deliver us from what we are going through now and the fear of what lies in the future. Listen to what Paul says to the Romans. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So whatever we are going through, we have this hope set before us. The redemption of our bodies and the glory that awaits us all by the hand of our gracious Savior who is the all-powerful creator who does all things well. Amen. Let us pray.